Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Exodus, and let's turn to Exodus 14, to Exodus 14. And we come this morning to one of the most important events in the entire Old Testament. It's an event that Israel will remember and sing about for centuries to come. It's an event so amazing that Hollywood still makes movies about it, as they did this past December. In Exodus 14, we come to the Red Sea crossing. There is a lot to cover in this passage, and I couldn't find a good way to break it up without losing the story. So I'm going to do something we rarely do and cover the chapter. And so we need to jump right in. So look with me at verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4. This is the word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Mount Hermon, God's ways are often not our ways. Here is Israel at the very border of Egyptian sovereignty. They're about to cross into the wilderness proper, into the desert and the pasture lands of the Sinai Peninsula, and to be out from underneath Egyptian rule for the first time in centuries. In answer to their prayers, they're going to step outside the realm of Egypt. And just before they step across, what does God say? Turn around. Take a step back. He instructs Moses to lead the people back into deeper Egyptian territory, into what appears to them to be the worst of all possible places. He instructs Moses to lead the people of Israel to a place where instead of open wilderness before them where they can escape Egyptian rule, there's going to be a sea before them. And Egypt's behind them. And should Pharaoh choose to come and attack, they will be sitting ducks, nowhere to run. God is setting up a trap. He's setting up a snare. Had God simply moved the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire by which he's been leading Israel from place to place, if he had simply moved to this place, certainly the faith of Israel, even the faith of Moses, would have been greatly tested. God, are you sure this is where you're leading us? It's strange enough that the promised land is north and you took us south. But now you're leading us to this place where where we're going to be exposed, where we're going to be vulnerable. God, are you you sure? And, And so to protect his people and to protect their slender faith, God comes and talks to Moses ahead of time. 
And he gives Moses a little explanation of what he's doing. Now, God often doesn't do that. <laughs> a lot of times he does things in our lives and we wish he would give us an explanation of what he's doing. And, and he doesn't. He calls us to trust him. But he has the divine prerogative and sometimes he does explain. And, and here he does. He comes to Moses and he explains what he's doing. Yes, Moses, Pharaoh and his armies, they're going to come. And they're going to come to attack you. But I have a plan, and I'm going to get glory. I see three major points in these first four verses. The first obvious point to me is that God is the author of this entire event. God is the author of everything we're about to read in Exodus 14. Nothing in this chapter happens by accident or coincidence. This is the God who holds Pharaoh's heart in his hands. And he can turn the heart of Pharaoh however he wills. This is the God who declares the end from the beginning. Indeed, he does here. He tells Moses what's going to happen before it happens. This is the God of Ephesians 1.11 who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And so in Exodus 14, God is not going to be reacting to what Pharaoh does. He's not going to be responding as if God is rolling with the circumstances, reacting to whatever Pharaoh chooses. No, God is in charge of this entire event from start to finish. He's the author of this story. He is the author of history. And our lives today are a part of the story that God is working out. History, His story. Psalm 139.16 Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. Our God has already planned every day of our lives and every day of human history. We, are, we all have a role to play in this great redemption tale that our God is working out. But He is the author of the story. Number two, I see in these opening verses the purpose of this event. The purpose of this event. Why is God setting up this trap for Pharaoh? Why is God leading His people to a place where they're going to be vulnerable, where it looks like they have no way of escape? Well, God tells Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. This is an evangelistic purpose. For centuries, the Egyptians have been worshiping Pharaoh as the living incarnation of their chief god, Re or Ra. Now in one final sweeping event, God is going to approve that He and He alone is the true God, the true I Am, even though Pharaoh had been claiming that name. As we will see, not only will the Red Sea crossing affect the Egyptians, but peoples far and wide are going to hear about what God does in this chapter. Peoples far and wide are going to hear that the Lord of Israel is the true and sovereign God because of what He does in this passage. 
Church, God's glory is the most important, most worthwhile, most all-satisfying, most soul-revolutionizing thing there is. And God is working in Exodus 14 to make His glory known. And then third, I see in these opening verses something of the leadership of Moses. Remember how when we started the book of Exodus, we saw Moses as a failed leader? Moses' first attempts at leadership were not good. They were not success stories. And God took him for 40 years, and he practiced leadership as a shepherd of sheep, real sheep, literal sheep. And now God equipped him, and he's leading well. A good leader knows what he's supposed to do, and even if it doesn't make sense to others, his role is to lead people in the way that they should go. I am sure the people of Israel were confused out of their minds about the way that Moses was leading them. Really, Moses, this is where you're taking us? But Moses had courage, he had grace, and he had skill, and he was able to lead them exactly to where they needed to be. If we want to be good leaders, and I hope all of us want to be good leaders, let us make sure we know where God would have us go and where He would have us lead others. And then, by His grace, let us pray that He would give us all that we need to lead those under our care to where they need to be. All right, let's see what happens next. Verse 5, beginning in verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Siphon. So God is doing exactly what he has said. He hardens the heart of Pharaoh. In fact, not just Pharaoh, but even Pharaoh's servants are looking around and realizing what a loss it is that their slave labor has been set free. We need our slave labor. How do you think we build these pyramids? Now, in light of the ten plagues, we would think that they would have learned by now that they cannot win and that they need to let the people of Israel go. But pride is so stubborn and sin is so illogical and irrational. Sinful desires cause us to get cloudy in our thinking and we draw wrong conclusions. And so even though they've just lost their firstborn sons in an act of utter folly, Pharaoh and his army, including 600 chariots, decide one last gasp, let's get our slaves back. And they pursue the people of Israel. And now they're there in camp before them at the Red Sea. Score the, the music, right? Cue the music. Let the tension build. Do you feel it? All right, it's a dramatic moment. Let's see what happens next. Verse 10. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. 
And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The most obvious truth here is just how fickle our faith can be. In the span of just a few days, the people have already begun to doubt Moses and to doubt God. Having already seen ten miraculous plagues unleashed on their behalf to redeem them, the people of Israel still are doubting God. Their faith is, they have faith, but it's fragile. They have faith, but it's slender and it's a little fickle. And frankly, here are the armies of Pharaoh lined up against them. And here is the sea at their back. Looking through human eyes, all they can see is we're about to die any moment. Moses, why did you lead us here to die? This needs to be a reminder to us that our faith is ultimately a gift of God. <coughs> Excuse me. Seeing miracles and witnessing amazing feats does not give people faith. Having ever wondered why so many people could see so many miracles of Jesus and then still not believe in his day. True faith not only believes that God can do amazing things, true faith believes that God will do whatever is necessary to preserve us and to save us. And this confidence, this faith in God that he is for us and that he is wielding his strong right hand on our behalf, that can only come in response to God's word being given to us. It is the word of God by the spirit of God that gives us faith, not witnessing miracles. Right now, Israel doesn't have strong faith that God is for them. Frankly, they expected to be halfway to Canaan by now, and here they are, pinned in by the Egyptians that they thought they were leaving far behind. Mount Hermon, don't forget, this was written down for you, and this was written down for me. When God leads us into unexpected trials or situations that we thought would never come our way, do we begin to doubt Him? Do we begin to question His love for us? Do we allow the scariness of our circumstances to have more power in our lives than the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins and has promised that He'll bring us to heaven? We see the fickleness of faith in this passage. But we also see here a glorious gospel truth. Did you see how Moses responded to the fickle faith of Israel? First he said, fear not. Fear not. This is what we are called to do when our circumstances seem dire. Yes, dear friend, Satan and his minions are after you. 
This world is out to seduce you, and it is seductive. And your flesh is warring against every holy desire in your born-again soul. And you may be in a situation right now where you feel pinned in, you feel trapped, you feel as if there's no hope in your present moment. What has God called you to do? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Your God is with you. And if your God is for you, who can be against you? Do Pharaoh and his chariots come even close to being a match for God? Put your worries away. And remember the Father who has you by your hand. The situation may be scary to you, the child, but it is not scary to your Father. Not only are we called to fear not, but then Moses calls them to stand firm. How different this story would have played out if people in Israel had become so overcome with fear that they ran to the Egyptians and said, we made a mistake, we're sorry, we'll be your slaves again, take us back. That's what some wanted to do. It would have been better to be slaves in Egypt than to die in the wilderness. It's the opposite of Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. These people are saying, I'd rather be a slave than die. I'd rather serve the Egyptians. And if if Israel doesn't stand firm, if they get a surrendering spirit about themselves, then this whole story falls apart and God does not get glory and His name is not known among the nations. God calls His people to stand firm. You might be in a tough situation this morning. A situation so tough that you're being tempted to give in to some kind of of sin. You're in a sticky predicament, a a tough place. You feel pinned in and trapped and you, you just want to escape. And if you just throw your Christian principles aside, if you just run back to the ways of the world, you can get out of this situation. Maybe it's a an ethical situation at work. Maybe you've made a mistake and you know if you lie about it, you can get out of it. And if you don't lie, if you're honest about it, it's going to cost you badly. Will you stand firm and trust God? Or in your fear, will you throw aside your Christian principles and follow the ways of the world? Maybe you're in a tough marriage. Maybe you feel trapped by how rough your situation is. Maybe you feel trapped in your marriage, like like there's something in you that wants to just run away. Will you stand firm? And will you trust God? The application here is going to look different for all of us. All of us are we're in different situations, we're in different circumstances, but the principles are the same. Where in your life do you need to hear this word from God this morning? Fear not, stand firm. And then there's one more command that Moses gives. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you. Israel, don't flee in fear. Stand firm against this mighty Egyptian army. Stand firm in your confidence in God. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch. Watch what your God can do. God's going to do the fighting. 
He's going to do the work. You watch. Mount Hermon, how often does God come through when we simply trust Him and stand firm in His principles and watch? In fact, ultimately, He always comes through. Sometimes the timing varies. Sometimes God comes through very, very quickly. I've had unexpected, scary trials jump on me in the morning that I thought, oh no, this is terrible. What am I going to do? And by the afternoon, God had worked it out. Friend, yesterday on Facebook, some of you will know who I'm talking about, had a family member who received a very serious, terrible diagnosis in the morning. Scared them. It's a trial. And by that afternoon had heard that it was a misdiagnosis and it was wrong. God brought the trial and he took the trial. Sometimes he moves that quickly. Sometimes God moves much more slowly. For our good, for our humbling, sometimes God will keep us in a tough situation for a lifetime. But in the event, in the end, in the end, ultimately God does come through because we breathe our last breath and we open our eyes and we see the face of Christ. And there are no tough, sticky, scary situations in heaven. Nothing is scary when you're beholding the face of Christ. Oh, the treasures that come from the trials that God brings our way. Can I just say that over the last few weeks as I've been dealing with these crazy issues I've been dealing with, singing these hymns on Sunday morning has meant so much more to me. It's like the words have new depth. It's like the words have new power. God does things in trials. We see aspects of His glory. We go deeper in our intimacy with Him in ways we would have never known. So if you're in a long trial and God has not come through for you as quickly as you would have liked, don't despair. Put away your fear. Stand firm in what God has called you to do and keep watching. Eventually, He will prove Himself faithful for you. When we say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We are not saying my life is going to be a bed of roses. It's not what we're saying. Sometimes the goodness and the mercy of God that follows us all the days of our lives comes in the form of painful trials. But remember what this is leading to. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The end of it all is the presence of God forever. This life is but a vapor. And ahead of us is eternity in the presence of God. Romans 8.18 I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So whether it's tomorrow or decades from now, we can be sure that God will deliver us from every trial and we are to fear not and we are to stand firm and we are to watch. Don't forget we saw earlier in this study how what we have here in Exodus is not just a picture of our own walk with God. 
But what we have here in Exodus is also a prophetic picture of Christ's church in the last days. Remember, we saw how Revelation constantly looks back to these first chapters of Exodus in order to give us a picture of the last days. And in the last days, especially as the day of Christ's return comes near, things are going to get harder for the people of God. Satan is mortally wounded, but he is coming hard after the church of Jesus Christ. And persecution is increasing rapidly around our world. The masses of this world are going to turn against God's people. The great tribulation that really we've been in since the day that Stephen was stoned to death in the book of Acts. Still, we are in the midst of that great tribulation and it's getting worse. But at just the right moment, in just the nick of time, when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ looks defeated, Red Sea at its back, Pharaoh and his soldiers coming towards them, and we begin to think, where is Christ? His church is in desperation. In the nick of time, Jesus will come, and he will rescue his people, and he will overthrow Satan, and he will set all things right. But until that day, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of ISIS and Boko Haram and militant Islam and militant Hinduism and atheistic communism, we are to fear not and we are to stand firm. We will be vindicated in the end. Justice will prevail and God will get His glory. So, now let's see. Let's watch how God worked the salvation for his people. Begin in verse 15. We're just going to read and watch. Okay, you ready? Let's read and watch. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. Sorry, I stumbled there. And in the morning watch. 
in the morning watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon the chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the, through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. <clears throat> Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And so we've watched and we see what God does. I'm just going to make five observations to close. Just five very brief points. Just going to mention them. We're going to run, um, but I do want you to see them. Point number one, Israel's faith, though small, was enough. Israel's faith, though small, was enough. Because rather than scattering and surrendering to Egypt, the people of Israel did trust God enough to stand firm. And thus, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, Hebrews 11.29 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. God worked in response to the faith of His people. Was it a fragile faith? Yes. Was it a slender faith? Yes. But faith even the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And so God responded to their little faith. God loves coming through for faith. God loves being counted upon. God loves being trusted because it gives him opportunity to show his faithfulness and his goodness. Israel's faith was small, but it was enough. Point number two, the awesome sovereignty of God extends to the smallest things as well as the biggest things. You see, we marvel at the waters of the Red Sea stacked up like a wall on the this side and on that side and we picture this scene of the people crossing through dry land and you see the waters piled up maybe you're picturing you know Charlton Heston that's how I picture it right the the, the old movie the the Ten Commandments and you're picturing this this amazing scene but don't miss that the God who did that also clogged up the chariot wheels of the Egyptians he did the big thing with the waters and he also calls the screws to come loose a little bit or calls the ground to be just wet enough to clog up the wheels of the chariots. However God did it, He was working in the big and obvious things, and He was working in the small things to save His people. Dear Christian, I can say, to th- I can say this to you with absolute biblical authority. When Romans 8.28 says that God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, it means all things. Yes, the rise and fall of kingdoms is being worked by God for our salvation and His story of redemption. But also, not one sparrow is going to fall to the ground today 
apart from the will of our Father. Everything, big, small, in the hands of our sovereign God, being worked for one purpose, to glorify Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ, as a Savior of His people. God's sovereignty is big and small. Point three. The Lord does bring judgment on those who oppose and persecute His people. God does bring judgment on those who oppose and persecute His people. There's a reason the New Testament looks back to Exodus 14 as a picture of the day of judgment. Just as God brought divine justice upon the Egyptians because they opposed Him and because they were hurting His people, so God will one day bring judgment on this world and on everyone who opposed and persecuted His children. It is a dangerous thing to mess with the children of God. My legs hurt, and I can't walk around very much right now. But if someone started messing with Benjamin, I would find the strength to get over there and deal with them. And as much as I love that boy and that boy, our Father's love for us is so much more. It is a dangerous thing to mess with the children of God. So the nations of this world need to be put on high alert. It is no small thing to enact policies that oppress the followers of Jesus. Our state legislators need to hear this. It is not a small thing to make it harder for Christians to be able to follow Jesus. Because Jesus has something to say about that. And Jesus is the judge of all men. God will hold us all accountable for whether or not we love, treasured, and cared for His people. Number four. Number four. The faith of Israel was strengthened because of what God did for them. The faith of Israel was strengthened because of what God did for them. You see this at the end of the passage, right? Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. They, they feared the Lord. Suddenly their, their, their picture of God got bigger. <laughs> they realized He's greater than we realized. Began to tremble a little bit before this God. And they trusted Him all the more. They believed in Him more. And Mount Hermon, you and I have been saved in a way mightier than the way God saved Israel. Yes, Israel saw a mighty work of the right hand of God, but you and I have experienced a mightier work of the right hand of God. God became man and died and rose again for our salvation. When your faith is fickle, when your faith is small, look back on what God has done for you and marvel. And let your vision of God expand. Tremble before Him a little and grow in your confidence. If He was able to do that, there is nothing He cannot do for me, His child. And so finally, point number five. It's the point of this whole passage. It's the point of Exodus 1 through 15. God is a Savior to His people. He is a Savior to His people. Unbeliever in this room, this is the question you've got to face. 
Who is God in relation to you? And who are you in relation to God? Are you, you, one of His people? That's the question. Are you one of His people? Because He saves His people. If you're one of His, then His promises are yours, and heaven is in your future, and Christ will never leave you nor forsake you, and always being worked for your good. But if you're not one of His, those promises aren't yours. You have different promises. The promise that one day you will be condemned for rebelling against an infinitely good and worthy God. We all in this room deserve hell but our God is a saving God. And every one of us has an opportunity, if we haven't before, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be forgiven of all our sins and to be given the promise of heaven. Young people, old people, have you trusted Christ? Have you been made one of His? If you have, He will bring you through this life across the Jordan, and into the true promised land, which is his glorious presence forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask now that you would help us to respond to this message in the way that we should. Father, if we've been falling into fear, help us to repent of our fear and to trust you more. Father, if if we've been putting aside our Christian principles, if we've been turning back to the ways of the world rather than trusting you and standing firm, would you cause us to repent and would you give us strength to stand firm? And Father, for some in this room who are going through trials, we ask that you would come through soon and show your faithfulness and wow our hearts with your mighty work on our behalf. Father, if there's a person in this room that does not know you, would you save them this morning? Would you cause them to run to you? To say, Father, I need you. Christ is my only hope. Christ, would you save me? Father, would you do a work of salvation this morning? even as you encourage your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.